Welcome to the Making Math Moments That Matter podcast. I'm Kyle Pierce. And I'm John Orr. We are two math teachers who together, with you, the community of educators worldwide, want to build and deliver math lessons that spark engagement, fuel learning, and ignite teacher action. Welcome to episode four. Are you ready to make math moments that matter? I am so ready. Let's dive in. In this episode, we're sharing three teacher moves to ignite teacher action in the classroom so you can spark curiosity and fuel sense-making in your students. We're so excited for this episode because we're going deeper into the nuts and bolts of specifically how to plan your lessons so that you can lead them like pros. But before we get into that, Kyle, what was your uh, Math Moments quick win for today? Hey, John, uh, today I had another great day of learning uh, with a different group of kindergarten teachers. Uh, one of the tasks we had the opportunity to unpack was the cover it up task, uh, a three act math task that I had uh, sort of modified from Marion Small's Uncomplicating Fractions book that uh, is an amazing read, definitely recommend. And uh, I had modified it with some visuals to use um, anywhere from kindergarten through grade eight. So today uh, we looked at it from uh, the kindergarten lens. And uh, we try to make some connections between the principles of counting and quantity to fractional thinking and area. Uh, I had managed to grab some video of my kids doing the task uh, about uh, about a year, maybe 18 months ago when Talia was five and Landon was three. And uh, we used those videos as our pedagogical documentation to really dive into the mathematical proficiencies. So that task is always a hit, regardless of the uh, different classroom grades that I bring it into. And uh, I really enjoyed the different perspectives from the group as they shared in their table groups and then out to the whole group. Um, and uh, we really led an amazing discussion. So if you're interested nice. in checking out that resource, learning a little more, watching some of those videos that we had shared today, um, the uh, folks listening at home can uh, check out makingmathmoments.com forward slash cover it up makingmathmoments.com forward slash cover it up and that'll redirect you to that task page so uh how about you john how uh how was today and what was your math moment win ah uh sounds like yours was awesome mine uh i was working with uh, a lot older students i was working with the grade 10 so like 16 year old students uh where we were desmos marble sliding today uh and if you're not oh yeah it is always always a hit for the kids and always uh gets like my one of my favorite uh things is to get kids into an activity and then have that activity teach them everything they need to know without me saying uh too many words which uh which desmos marble slides definitely does and if you're not sure what it is it's it's like a game game like format you know you know kyle do you have uh, those marble sets at home where you um you would set them up and then it, you know you'd build it very high and then you put the marble at the top and then it trickles down you have one of those sets Oh, yeah, to- totally. And my kids have one now. I know uh, when I was younger, I used to love marbles. And now my kids have their own set, all the kinds of tubes and everything, trying to get them from the top and, you know, do all kinds of paths all the way to the bottom. What's this like? Uh, how's this like that? Well, this one's like, it's like that, but it's a digital version. It's uh, on teacher.desmos.com. And your tracks are not actual tracks. They're lines, like linear equations. 
uh, graph and the graphs of those uh, in the graphing calculator. So the kids have to design a track to capture stars. There's stars on the screen and they have to um, take the marbles and then have them run along the lines and cut them off and have them kind of trickle down to capture all these stars. They, uh, they start, uh, the best part is they start thinking that they're just playing a game. And by the end, they know all about how the slope and the y-intercept of the, the lines affect the graph of that line. So uh, I love it. It's amazing for an activity. The kids are in it the whole time. Uh, one quick tip. Cool. One quick tip I would, I would give is uh, don't do one-to-one. Uh, have one-to-two for like one iPad per two students because then the conversations happen. One-to-one, that class is quiet and kids are isolated. Uh, one-to-two is they are talking and moving uh, their hands to describe things. Um, you get way more interaction and way more awesome math discussion. Um, if you have the pro tip of one iPad or one device or one Chromebook per two kids, um, Very cool. awesome stuff. That's awesome. Actually, uh, you know, it sounds like, um, that, that philosophy, I believe, uh, John, Correct me if I'm wrong, but that that seems to be a philosophy that Desmos uh, is very proud to uh, to suggest to their users is this uh, two or more to one uh, ratio of students to uh, to devices uh, to keep that collaboration, that math discourse going. Is that true? Yeah, for sure. Uh, I was at a, a workshop with uh, Des, uh, Desmos people and uh, Michael Fenton, who works for Desmos. He was leading the workshop and uh, he says they definitely recommend a one to two in every activity that uh, he does. One to two is the uh, the go to. Awesome. Awesome. I actually uh, today, you know, there's two parallels I see here between uh, my uh, math moment win for today and yours is uh, first off. Um, something really interesting is that you're dealing with high school kids and you're talking about this particular activity. Me, I was working with kindergarten and uh, here in Ontario, we use a play based what we call a play based um, kindergarten uh, continuum for learning. And uh, keeping in mind, this isn't like aimless play. This is very, you know, there's structured um, play. There's all kinds of different uh, different approaches, but really it's all about trying to meet the, the learner where they are um, and and kind of building on on their curiosity and and really getting them to have like a purpose in the in the work they're doing. And you know, when you describe this particular activity, which mar- marble slides is one that I've loved doing when I was in the high school classroom, as well as when I'm leading workshops uh, and and involving technology, I love showing off this. Uh, particular activity, this marble slides activity. Um, but it, it sounds awfully play-based to me, despite the fact that these are high school kids, not just kindergarten kids. What do you think about yeah, that? Yeah, for sure. For sure. And it's a, uh, it's awesome to see that the styles of le- learning or the styles of classroom, the styles of, of activities carry, carries forward regardless of age. Um, like I like think about things that you learn as an adult right now, like you probably learn them the best because you are, having fun while you do it or you're thinking you're playing a game. So, uh, yeah, it's awesome to see that that continues forward and that, uh, and I definitely try to do that in my classrooms as much as possible. Awesome. And, and, you know, the, uh, messaging that two to one or more two two or more to one, uh, is the same messaging I gave to our, our K teachers as well. We were talking nice. about some of the uh, nice. tech tools in the district. One, 
uh, being Zorbit's uh, math adventure. And, and that was something I had suggested is that, you know what, why not, why not get them matched up and, uh, and have them working together and, and, you know, having to sort of make moves with intentionality instead of sort of just clicking around and, you know, seeing what works. So um, right. I, I love that, uh, you know, regardless kindergarten or high school, um, there's so many connections and, and parallels between how we learn uh, regardless of the age. So right. very cool. Right. Yeah. Now, and, and uh, you speaking of uh, making moves is uh, is nice because that's exactly what we want to talk about here today. Uh, so we want to get going here and dive into the details of how to effectively plan lessons to make math moments that matter. We call this uh, planning igniting our moves because it's uh, it's all in the planning, making plan. Uh, you know, it's it's probably out of our three-part framework that we've talked about in our uh, past episodes, I, th- I think, Kyle, planning is probably uh, our most important. Hey, Math Moment Makers, Kyle here. And I've got just a quick message specifically for our district-level mathematics decision makers out there. Do you feel like you're spinning your wheels when making district-level goals for mathematics programming from kindergarten through grade 12? Setting new goals each year only to find little to no real shift in pedagogical practice or educator content knowledge across the district as a whole? Take a moment to book a short call with our team so we can learn more about your specific district and educator learning needs in mathematics so we can assist you in taking the first step of many in the right direction. Visit makemathmoments.com forward slash district to book a web call with our team today. We have a limited number of spots for districts just like yours, so don't wait head to makemathmoments.com forward slash district and grab a spot in our calendar now. No, for for sure. I think it's one of the uh, maybe least uh, exciting of the uh, of the three. I, I think people really like this idea of curiosity and and fueling sense making, which both are are extremely important. But those things don't happen unless we pay attention to the planning and in, unless we plan with precision. And uh, you know, I, I love uh, when we're presenting John on, on this three part framework. We often quote Tom Shimmer, and uh, in his book. Um, uh, grading from the inside out, he he says that we need to plan with precision so we can proceed with great flexibility. And that quote really resonates with me. I know it resonates with you. And I, I'm, I'm hoping folks at home are, are thinking the same thing. And we're going to kind of build off of this quote a little bit today to talk about, you know, how we try to plan lessons so that the they become moments in our students' memories so that those math moments can actually matter. So um, this is the most important part of the framework. And I'm going to argue one of the most complex. So, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, we're not going to be able to do it full justice um, through this podcast, but we're hoping that we can at least, um, you know, kind of kind of raise an awareness and uh, and get people set on the right path. uh, and, And we can build on it in future episodes as well. You got it. And uh, what we want to do is we want to give you th- uh, three moves uh, that you can put into place or think about um, to help plan or ignite your moves as a teacher 
uh, for your students. And we're just going to outline them right now. But uh, that would be the bulk of what we're going to talk about is these three moves, which, like Kyle said, there's so much in here because each move has more moves. Uh, it's kind of a, a, nest, a nested uh, plan here. Uh, but what we, we call these is uh, we definitely, when we're planning our lessons, we have to think about our before moves. And th- this is this is, these are the moves that we need to make or think about uh, for our students so that we can plan effectively what we want to deliver that that lesson, um, but also think about our students. So, so we'll talk about that in a moment. The second of the of the two um, moves that we're going to talk about is the during moves. And this one has a, a series of, of things that or moves that we have in the classroom. These are the things that uh, like what are we doing in the moment uh, that the lesson is going on to get that learning uh, out into the open. Uh, so right, we'll be talking right. about that. Uh, and then the final the final one is the after moves. Like, what are we what are we doing after we see what the kids do with what we've planned? Um, I know that I, I did something for a long time that I definitely don't do anymore. So uh, we'll definitely dive into that for sure. For sure. Beautiful. Yeah. So these three moves, um, you know, like you said, lots of moves and uh, moves within moves here, um, but really just trying to organize it into, into these three phases, we'll call them, uh, of of planning. Um, so let's talk a little bit about before moves. Uh, you know, there's, I, I think, three big ideas in, in the before stages as we're planning. And you know, one that I, I want to say this is this is the part that I, I think I, I probably started uh, to get onto late uh, in the game, mm-hmm. and and it's really getting this understanding of knowing where students are coming from, and just to kind of put it into perspective, and I'm sure some folks uh, can can think in their own context of what this looks like, sounds like. But I remember I was teaching grade nine. And uh, here in Ontario, grade nine is the first grade uh, or the first year of high school. And kids were coming into my class and I knew my curriculum. I knew what we had to do this year. But boy, oh boy, did I have no idea what they knew coming in. And and a lot of it was just assumptions, to be honest. I, I was thinking kids were you know, multiplying and dividing fractions for years. And, and, you know, lo and behold, later on, when I realized I needed to know where they were coming from so that I could realize that, you know what, in the Ontario curriculum, multiplying and dividing fractions only explicitly shows up in grade eight, the year prior. So no wonder these kids were really struggling with this concept, because who knows how deep they were able to get into it the previous year, right? So uh, that, that one was a big one for me. How about for you, John? To, to build on that idea that I had those same thoughts about curriculum based knowing where they come from. But, but you'll, you know, you've, you've got to know just like I know that, uh, there's many students coming into my class that are not even operating at grade level. So, uh, I would take, I wouldn't, uh, I was like you, I wasn't even taking that into account, let alone that they should know about, you know, the geometric representation of the Pythagorean theorem, uh, which would have been a curriculum. Uh, expectation. But uh, uh, I think it goes deeper than just knowing or understanding what the curriculum uh, suggests that they should know or says that they should know about who these kids actually are. Um, What are their strengths? What are their weaknesses? We got to know more about our kids and where they are before we can start planning those lessons. So that's why it's one of our big before moves. Yeah. And and something you you referenced there, which, you know, you nailed it, is that we, we all no, and I we know you and I, John, know from the the educators, our colleagues we speak to through our blogs, through Twitter, through our you know the email list. Um, when people reply to our emails and tell us, you know, we we often ask questions. 
questions in our in our weekly emails um, to subscribers, and and a lot of people respond back, and we ask them uh, things like their greatest challenges, and one of the biggest challenges that we see uh, people struggling with in some way, shape, or form, in some some way, they're describing this element of students being at different levels I, mm-hmm. that they're teaching all kinds of various um, groups of students that are at varying levels of readiness. And like the crazy part is, is for years, I used to say things like, well, geez, these kids, you know, they don't know their math facts. And you know what? I mean, that that may or may not have been true for for many of my students. But here's the bigger issue is what was I going to do about it? I had no idea when they started multiplying, how to go about the beginnings of multiplication. Like I was just under the assumption that by grade nine, you're going to know this stuff and we're going to build off of that. And the reality is, is that's not the way it works. You know, like right. everybody's learning at a different pace. It doesn't matter. It's not the teacher's fault in the previous year or the previous eight years. Students are all coming to us with different um, different needs, different uh, home lives and and different levels of support, whether they have support from parents and, and family or not, uh, whether they have food on the table. Like there's so many things that we need to be considering. And these were all like I was completely oblivious to it. Um, I was completely fine to say, hey, they don't know their math facts. They need to know their math facts. But, you know, I wasn't doing anything about it. And that's what was like a big wake up call for me that, you know what, I got to know how this math stuff develops. And I'm talking like early, not, not just grade eight or grade seven, if I'm teaching grade nine, but like, where does it begin? Because I bet you there's going to be a student that walks through that door that's going to be at that level. And, and if I want to help that student, I have to know, like, where do where are they? And how do I get them to the next level? It's not going to be to grade nine overnight. It's going to be the next level in their journey. So um, that knowing where where they come from is such a big one. And, uh, and it's something that uh, you and I are pretty passionate about, you know, when we talk about fueling sense making, but also in this idea of planning and, you know, making sure that we know how to create a task that will leave it open enough so all students can access it. And so we can help each of them get that little nudge forward. Yeah. Yeah. Like that's, that's huge. Like I think you've give, given us and, and all the listeners a great tip here that, that in order to meet your students uh, where they're uh, where they are and how to help your, all your students, regardless of their grade level is to know that curriculum stretching back to, if you're teaching grade nine, uh, even, you know, even to go grade to three, like I know teaching grade nine applied, I've got kids operating at so many different levels, uh, even, even probably back to, to lower than grade five or four. So, um, I think that's, yeah, that's I a huge it. tip for us to know that curriculum. And I think that's helped me so much in the last few years. And I know that you've been diving way deeper into the elementary curriculum than I have lately. But uh, even though even the little work that I've been looking at lately has helped me huge to understand on how to help these students uh, master or even uh, attempt and, and, and learn these grade nine concepts because because uh, I've stretched back to look at what they're doing in grade five and how the teachers there are helping. And that's helped my class uh, hugely. Yeah, beautiful. And, and, you know, when we think about, you know, going on to our next piece, so knowing where they come from, the, the next one that we often talk about um, in our before moves is knowing where they're going. And as a, you know, again, we're, we're sort of like pegging ourselves in grade nine for this particular discussion. Um, but going into grade 10, when we know that kids are going to be multiplying binomials and w- the work that I do and look, knowing where they come from, 
when I started doing that, I started to see these connections and you had referenced grade five and grade five in the Ontario curriculum, we're doing two digit by two digit multiplication. And it's that at that point, when I was looking at grade five material, did the light bulb go off for me that, oh my gosh, multiplying two digit by two digit numbers is identical conceptually to multiplying binomials. So an X plus mm -hmm. a number times an X plus a number, which, you know, many times we just tell kids is this thing called FOIL, this acronym, which is really just a trick in order to help them remember a standard algorithm for multiplying binomials when really I could have been using partial products and the area model and all of, you know, base 10 blocks in order to help get them to algebra tiles. Like there's so much going on there when we look back and when we, when we look forward so that we make sure that what we're doing in our own grade level is appropriate for what we're getting them ready for in the future. And we're not, you know, we're not going too deep or we're not going too shallow. We're, we're trying to find that just right so that, uh, you know, so we could provide them the best experience possible. Yeah, that's, uh, that's helped me immensely in that exact example that, uh, of that multiplying and going back and, and, you know, when I get to, to that part in my grade 10 course, uh, I do, uh, and, and I even do this in my grade 12 uh, advanced functions course when we are uh, factoring cubic polynomials. Uh, I, I go back and I do a little history or progression of multiplying and division, showing those techniques that are happening in grades four and five all the way and how it relates to what they were doing in grade nine algebra. Uh, and how that relates to what we are doing in grade 10 uh, for the grade 10s. And then even those grade 12s see that. And then and then it becomes uh, so much nicer, especially for those grade 12s, to visually see what, what we were doing way back. And that really relates to the work that we're going to do with these polynomials. So, yeah, I, I definitely, uh, it definitely resonates with me uh, knowing where they are going for sure. Hey there, Math Moment Makers. Are you a dedicated listener? Like, I'm talking, have you been listening for a couple months, maybe even a couple years? Well, if you haven't taken a moment to leave us a rating and review on your favorite podcast platform, it would mean so much to us. It'll take you under one minute uh, so that you can help more educators see and experience the Making Math Moments That Matter podcast. Uh, do us this huge solid. Uh, we thank you from the bottom of our hearts. And uh, here is today's episode. Yeah, and I, I want to uh, apologize to our uh, our primary listeners, our you know those coming in from the early years. Yeah, you know, I we're doing somebody. a lot of algebra talk here, um, but really the big takeaway, you know what we know, like this, the language you're using and, and the terminology you're using, um, definitely not intended to uh, make anyone feel like you know they they are not certain of the the content, but really more to make the point that all of the work we're doing from K to twelve is in service of helping students along their journey. And we're all doing the work together. And uh, the better we are all at and seeing those connections. Mm -hmm. And, and I, you know, I'm not expecting the grade five teacher to know, you know, the grade 11 and 12 curriculum. But if, I, if I'm in grade five and I know that, wow, in grade 10, there's like some explicit connections that can be made algebraically to 
the, the, the multiplicative nature of the, the concepts I'm teaching right now, uh, it might be motivation for me to spend more time and dig in on those concrete and visual representations and, and not feel like I have to rush through it to get to the symbolic, to the standard algorithms and, and sort of just rush to mm -hmm. memorization. So mm -hmm. really the, the reason we bring this up is just so that, you know, teachers are aware and they have faith that, you know, the work they're doing matters. Um, and, and even if maybe they're not seeing it currently, um, we are shifting, like we're heading in this direction where I think we're all learning so much about how math works and like what it means to be proficient in mathematics that, um, you know, that the, the work it's going to pay off and it, it will take a few years before, you know, this starts to all catch on. Um, but over time, it, it really is worth it in the end. And, uh, and, and we all need to be supportive of each other and, you know, not acting the way you and I did when we used to say, Hey, why don't they know their math right. facts coming into grade nine or, right. you know, how, how come they don't know how to work with fractions? It's, it really is, uh, it takes us all looking back and looking forward to make sure, um, you know, we're, we're setting up students, uh, appropriately, uh, and, and at the right level of abstraction based on where they are. Right, right. So while while the first two before moves, um, we we were saying that uh, knowing that progression from uh, early to late uh, uh, levels is immensely imp important uh, to help your students uh, for know where they come from and know where they're going. Uh, the third before move is more uh, specific to that one lesson and. Uh, what we what we are calling this, or I guess we're not calling this. Um, this one is called anticipating. So what we mean by anticipating as a before move is if you've got a learning goal selected for a particular lesson, uh, you've got a task picked out that you want to use with that that lesson. Uh, we definitely need to anticipate what our students will do on that task, and uh, we're borrowing this from. Uh, the five practices uh, for orchestrating productive discussions in mathematics. Um, with this, uh, this, this, this is one. The, anticipating is the first of the five practices in the book, and the in the remaining four are in our during moves, and we're going to talk about those in a moment. But anticipating is about knowing, you know, understanding what they'll your students are going to try, uh, planning that out, like actually doing the math that that they're that they're going to do in that math lesson. Uh, what will they do? Think about all the techniques that they will try. Um, what are the errors that they're going to run into? That that plan right there is is where that quote, I think, from Tom Shimmer makes the most sense. It's like we have to plan right there deeply uh, and very thoughtfully about what they're going to do. That That's that precision that we can plan with precision right there. Then when we in the moment in the class. Uh, then we can proceed with great flexibility. Then, we, then we're ready for whatever comes our way. So, uh, anticipation is is our third before move and, and a very important one. Yeah, no, for sure, for sure. And I think uh, you know something else you mentioned there, just about this the the intentionality. Like we have to have that nailed down before we can even get into the anticipating. Like I have to know, like what am I after in this lesson? Am I after a certain mathematical model? Like am I building on mm -hmm. something here? Or is this like a new idea and I'm trying to help make a connection? Um, so I really have to be specific. And, you know, the real tricky part for uh, for us, and I know when I'm in working in my district or when I'm working in other districts and uh, I'm, I'm coaching and consulting with teachers, 
the, the, one of the challenges is sort of like people want to know, like, so this task and, you know, fill in the blank what that task is. Let's say it was the cover it up task I referenced earlier. A lot of people say like, so what's the learning goal? And, you know, to me, I sort of go like, well, it kind of depends, you know, like what grade am I in and, and where am I in the course? And, you know, Mm -hmm. what do the kids know? Like, what do they have coming in? You know, that whole knowing where they come from and know where they're going is huge. But then also just like, what have we done so far? And like, what can the students do? And basically what I need to do is I need to think about like, what do I need to plan and how do I need to present this task so that it's accessible for all students and in order to get them to that like intended learning for that session. So like, there's so much that we need to do in this in this planning process, this before moves process that, you know, when we get to the anticipating, like what kids might do, like that's really hard unless I have a very clear vision on Mm -hmm. where kids are now, like what they're bringing to the, to the classroom, like tomorrow when I do this lesson and like that, with that in mind, that's when I can actually do some, some appropriate or some reasonable anticipating on what they may or may not do. But if I'm going in blind, then of course I have no idea what might come out of this, right? I'm just sort of guessing and, you know, hoping, hoping whatever I throw against the wall will stick. And that's, and that's what I did for, you know, for many years, it was like, I know the math. I know, I know the, how the examples work. Uh, I know, I know the curriculum for this year, um, but I wouldn't plan out how my kids would uh, uh, see what I'm doing. Like, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't plan that way. I would just plan on how to do the examples because that's what I did in, in the, as the lesson. I, I just said, I'm going to show you how to do this. So I never really actually took into consideration uh, who those students, you know, who those students were. So, uh, and what they, and where they came from and where they were, go- like where they, where they're going on their learning journey. Like it, it, it didn't, it didn't occur to me to think that way. I just planned with the examples in mind, which is the way I, I was taught. Yeah. And when you when you think about that too, right? Like we were thinking like very traditional and, and the way I was taught and the way I taught for many years, um, I I never really considered what they would do because I, I, I'll be honest, like back then, I didn't care what they did because I wanted them to do it my way right. because my way was the efficient way, right? And the reality is, is like, that's not good. First of all, it's not good problem solving. But then second of all, it's not honoring like where they are now. And like, we're, I, I always say like, it's like I grabbed them by the collar and I sort of dragged them to where I wanted them. But the problem was, is half the kids were standing there going like, where the heck am I? Like, I have no idea. This, this is the least efficient method for me because I have no idea what's right. going on, right? right. I, yeah. I had an, a, a method that might've gotten me there, might take, it might've taken me longer than, you know, maybe I would like, you know, um, you know, to, to leave school with, but right now in today, today's day and age or not today's day and age, but where I am currently in my journey, like that's the most efficient method I have. And now as the teacher, I have to think of like, well, if that's where you're at, what's your next step to get you closer to that, we'll call it flexibility, right? It's right. not always efficiency. It's like this flexibility to be able to like take that and like do it differently and, you know, modify it to make it work for different situations and different contexts. Yeah. And think about all the information that you're getting by having that conversation with that student at that time. Um, when, when they show you what they know or what they've tried or where they are, uh, how much, how much information you get about that, that piece, that learning and, and like, people talk about assessment and how do you assess these tasks? Like, which we'll definitely be spending a full episode 
uh, in the future to talk about assessment uh, in math class. But uh, uh, that's one of our other big challenges uh, that teachers ask us in the email is like, how do you assess a task like what you're doing? And, and my answer back is that we're always assessing, like we're assessing all the time. And and, and what, what a by assessment means to me and at that at that time is like taking that information that that student's telling me and then what do I do with that information? Like I have like those other before moves, we have to be ready to provide them with next steps. Um, but right. if if we didn't do that, if, if I just, if we plan the other way, I would never gain that information. So, so having all of that anticipation and, and, and knowing or planning out what those, those students are going to, um, uh, show you and having something ready so that if they show you this, you're going to move this way. Um, that's, that's so huge because you not only help them on their journey, you know so much about what, what they're learning at that moment. Right. And, and no matter how much work you do anticipating, you know, you'll always go into class and there's always going to be at least one student who does it away that you're like, how the heck right. did they do that? And, mm-hmm. but you know what though, the, the difference is, is at least there's only ones that stumping me. Whereas it used to be when I did start letting kids problem solve and actually like, you know, go with the strategy they had. I was lost because there were so many kids doing it in so many different ways that I had not actually considered that it was like I was stumped. I knew, like you said, I knew the way, the quote unquote, the way to do it. But man, I did not know how how do I help that student get any further ahead in their journey because I I didn't think long and hard about, you know, how, how they might actually approach it based on where they're at. So, um, that is the, you know, the third before move, very important move. And, uh, also the first of the five practices for orchestrating productive discussions in math. Um, John, what do you say we dive into, uh, some during moves for sure, for sure. So the during moves are, like we said earlier, these are the moves that are happening in your classroom in live time. So you've done all the planning and, uh, the the like kind of the pre planning in advance, and uh, you're you've you've anticipated student solutions on a task. You've you've thought about where they're coming from. You've thought about where they're going. Um, the the next uh, series of moves uh, starts uh, as it's, we said. It's from the five practices for orchestrating productive mathematical discussions. Um, the first uh, of them was anticipation, but the second one is it once you've the kids. Or, or your students are in that task. And uh, what you're doing is you're doing the monitoring stage. So that's one of the one of the moves um, in the during moves. And so monitoring doesn't mean you're just walking around looking at them. This is the actual interacting with your students. This is what we re- referenced at when you're talking with your student, you're pulling the information or you're not pulling the information, you're listening uh, for that information uh, from those students so that you're ready to provide them a uh, uh, you know, a, a tip or a next step or a hint or um, to help them on on their path to getting an answer uh, to that that task or showing their thinking. So monitoring is is moving from group to group, spending time with uh, one group, moving to another group, which can be challenging for sure um, in that in that monitoring stage. And what, what you're also doing is you're is you're making notes to yourself and and I and I usually use uh, a check sheet a checklist sheet or a, a tracking sheet um, for the groups or the kids uh, to see like who's working on what strategy and that's going to come in in a minute for the five practices but is that student working with a table representation for this this or is this person using uh, an equation to represent that or and, and you're making notes on what 
what they're doing so that you can use that later in in the lesson so monitoring is pretty is pretty huge um Kyle, you got a little bit more to say about monitoring? Yeah, I, I was going to just add into just this idea of, you know, this is a great opportunity to ask questions, you mm-hmm. know. Um, I, I really uh, I really try to lay off giving giving too many, you know, tips or pointers or, you know, like next steps. Like I really want students to be able to kind of struggle through this. So oftentimes I'll ask a question and then I'll leave, mm-hmm. you know. And the reason I leave is because if I stick around too long, I know that I end up saying too much. And uh, I really want to give kids the opportunity. If I'm standing there, oftentimes either, you know, they feel a little anxious because I'm watching or um, or they'll just keep on like prodding for more information. And, and, you know, you know, we're all human. And as much as I don't want to give that information, oftentimes I sort of cave. So I'll just say, all right, I'll be back. You know, so it's kind of like, you know, yeah. you make whatever note you want on your on your little uh, your little checklist and um, and then you move along. So um, that would be that monitoring stage. And um, I'm doing the same thing. And I know, John, you're doing the same when we facilitate like PD workshops with teachers. So in the classroom and when we work with teachers is the same like we're walking around when we give table talk discussion time we're walking around to actually monitor and listen to what people are saying and sometimes to ask more questions like if i think someone's saying something and uh, i might ask a question to see if that's ex- like if if what i'm thinking is what they're actually saying and then I'm walking around and I'm actually starting the next step, which is the selecting process. Like it's like, which, like when we take up this math task with my students, or if it's a, if it's a workshop and I'm working with teachers, like which teachers am I going to select to share some of their thinking? So that selecting part is sort of like the body of work that you're going to use in order to kind of consolidate the thinking from that math task. But um, in the book, they're very clear to say that, you know, how you select that work will really depend on what it, what it is you're looking for. So I, I have to be, again, clear in those before moves to know what math like learning and what mathematical thinking am I like, is this task eliciting and am I hoping to highlight? So I'm not just grabbing anything. I'm not grabbing everybody's work. I'm trying to grab work that's actually going to help serve a purpose during the consolidation of this lesson. Um, John, like when you're, when you're selecting, like what's going on in your mind, like what, how, how do you see selecting and, and that process working? Yeah, I, I see it ex- the same way as you, as you did. And, and from the learning from, from the book, um, thinking about what our learning goal is. Uh, but I, also, I try to select different groups based on the previous experience. Uh, what I mean by that is if yesterday we did a task and I selected uh, you know, group A or student A to share later on in the connecting stage or, or share later on their strategy, uh, I got to I keep that in mind in this, you know, today's selecting stage, because I might not choose that person. I might I might choose another um, another student or another group of students to share that day just just to spread spread around. Like, I think kids would catch on quite quickly of who gets to share their solution. Uh, always, yeah. if if you're always picking the same group, you're like, oh, yeah, there's uh, there's Isaac who, uh, you know, always gets it right. And uh, we're going to make sure we include his or. I, I, I try to make sure that we spread that kind of love around, um, which makes that classroom environment more welcoming for everybody that right. uh, that we were always looking for. Yeah, I, I'm also seeing that uh, that selecting part as well is like it's such an easy win if you know. 
notice that like seven, uh, you also like two things I want to mention. First, you had, you had talked about groups. So this works with group work, but also like it'll work with independent work as well. So if they are solving problems independently, I know mm-hmm, that uh, mm-hmm. you and I tend to like getting kids collaborating because like so much, so much good thinking happens and we, we typically do it uh, using vertical non-permanent surfaces. I'm sure we'll be talking about that in a future episode, maybe get Peter on. Um, but, uh, but, but also like if I'm looking around the room and I see that like seven or 10 kids have very similar strategies, like on a day like that, I'm definitely trying to go for those like handful of kids that tend to not, um, either feel super confident or may not, um, have shared recently. So yeah, like you had mentioned, like we're going to, like, we're, we're intentionally looking for the, for the math thinking, but then also like, we're also trying to figure out ways that we can get quick wins for these students to make Mm -hmm. sure that everybody's feeling like they're a part and their voice matters in the class. Yeah. And another thing about the selecting is when you're thinking about the, the math that's going to come out and, and I, and I love this about the book. And when I read this in the five practices book, I was like, ah, like this makes so much sense. Um, and, and what I'm referring to is I've done so many tasks where in group work, I had students, you know, maybe it was on chart paper and they were, they were creating a solution to a problem. And uh, it was when it was time to present, what always happened was group A would present their solution uh, and group B would present their solution. It was slightly different than group uh, a, but then when group C had the same solution as group A, group C would just say, we did the same as them. And then the whole kind of uh, the vibe in the classroom is kind of like, oh, because then group D goes, we did the same as them too. And then you're like, okay, well, this is going nowhere fast. Uh, whereas <laughs> selecting like that, having that stage be explicit, because some people skip over that stage, but having that thinking about that explicitly gives you permission to skip over kids and say like, I don't need group B or group C to present today. Uh, they had the same solution as A. So I don't need to call upon them to show uh, that thinking because uh, we've already got that thinking out into the open for, for analysis. So, right. so you can, you can feel free to not show everyone's solution um, or everyone's thinking. And, and you, you know, when I, uh, when I was watching you one time do this, Kyle, you did something nice during the, I guess the sequencing, uh, which is, you know, these kind of blend together, the selecting and the sequencing, but, uh, which is the, is the, is the third, uh, or the fourth of the five practices you did, you did something nice with a group where, where, uh, you, we went to a group and you didn't ask them exactly, you know, didn't, you didn't say like, present your whole solution. Uh, do you remember what I was what I'm referring to that, yeah, that time? Yeah, no, for sure. Yeah, definitely, definitely. As we were, uh, you know, we were doing this monitoring, selecting, sequencing. So, you know, as we move into this this fourth of the uh, five practices, so the sequencing step, um, you know, noting that like monitoring, selecting, and sequencing is sort of happening at the same time. You know, like as much as you know, technically we're monitoring first. It's like as as I'm monitoring, sometimes I'm like, oh yeah, definitely taking that. It's like so, I'm putting that in my mind, and then you know, I walk around, I continue monitoring, and then I'm oh, I'm definitely going to be selecting that for this reason. Um, but then as soon as I have two or more, that's when I start in my mind sort of going like, huh, this one's going to go first for sure. This one's probably going to be going like near the end. And, you know, this one might go in the middle. Um, so as we're sequencing, like other things we want to consider is like, what 
am I like, why did I select that work? And what thinking am I asking them to share? And and the the time that I, I think you're referencing, we came around to a group and uh, and asked this group to share, but they had like they had a lot on their on their whiteboard, and there was like lots of great thinking there. But we actually had them focus on one specific part of that thinking, and it was because a lot of the other stuff on the board had already been shared. And we didn't need to hear about that anymore. But what we wanted from them was very specific to that patterning task. And we wanted them to really highlight their thinking there because it was something that we actually didn't see on anyone else's board. And we thought it was a great opportunity to include them in the discussion, but then also offer like another representation to other people uh, in the room to the, uh, to the other participants. Yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, that, that's, uh, that was, uh, it's so key. And, uh, I, I try to implement that as much as I can now. And, and, you know, oftentimes when you're, you're working on a task or a problem and kids are, are showing solutions or having solutions, um, and a lot of them can be the same. And this is a great technique to include other groups, uh, get voices out there, uh, one one uh, thing that I'm I'm doing as as re- uh, regularly as possible is you know going to the one group and uh, and saying like what was the exact first thing you did and right and then and then tell me like only tell me that and then they they feel like off the hook a little bit like they only have to say this one thing and uh, they'll they'll say what the first thing is I'm like oh, awesome great uh, and then we move on to another group who has a similar solution or same solution and now we just say like what did you do next because if they had the same starting point uh, now they can fill us in on the next detail and and you can move from group to group that way also uh, in that sequencing uh, stage right right it's also nice to and and really you know we should we should get into this last part which is um, the fifth practice, which is connect mm-hmm. or connection, making connections. And um, like really all of this work is in service of this particular point. So like if I had to, you know, say the most important part, like this is what it's all for. It's making these connections. So when you're when you're talking about us going around to that group and having them, you know, we've we've selected, we're sequencing the work and then we're actually having groups share specific parts of their work. That's in the connection part, which I like to also consider like in Ontario here, we call that the consolidation of a three-part math lesson. We, you know, uh, Marion Small has done a lot of work around the three-part math lesson, like Van de Waal, uh, was uh, where I, I believe the three-part math lesson, one, one of its early beginnings was from Van de Waal. And um, that that consolidation, or as in the five practices, they call the connections, making connections portion of the lesson is where the learning is happening. And this is like really trying to flip the idea on its head that we like teach this lesson and then kids do work. It's the exact opposite. Like we're getting kids, if we've planned this appropriately and we've anticipated and we've done this process, out will come all kinds of student work that's nicely scaffolded and we can select and sequence in a variety of different ways. The book outlines some, some different ways that you can, you can choose to do that. But one of the most uh, common ones for myself and I know for you as well is like this accessibility piece, like going from the most accessible solution strategies, Mm -hmm. meaning like I'm sharing this one and it's like everyone in the room, it will be so obvious when this 
person or this these people share their solution to the rest of the group that it's like everyone is on the same page. And then you go to the next solution strategy, which is just slightly less accessible than that first one, but not not so much so that like you've lost everyone. And it's like a nice way to build up towards like a less uh, a less uh, accessible solution strategy, which tends to be more like symbolic or abstract in nature. And the whole idea here is like making these connections so that I can see like, oh yeah, like what they did way over there is the same. Like it's it's actually the same as what's over here. It's just another representation, another way for me to solve this problem. So like that idea of abstraction and being able to like represent things in many different ways is like what mathematics is all about. Mm-hmm. And this is something that was completely absent from the majority of my teaching career in the class. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And that's my favorite part of of that during move is is the connection and and talking about how all of those um representations or strategies can connect to, to each other and and you know and, and you can definitely connect uh, incorrect strategies or or mistakes in on the board to other uh correct ones by you know have that showing that progression from uh, you know, this, we have, we have this everything right up to here, but then, you know, see how it's connecting to this over here. And, and, uh, that it's, it's, it's my favorite part of, of those lessons for sure, because it, it just brings everything into the light. Um, like, and like you said, it's nothing that I was doing before and it's definitely nothing that I saw as a student. Uh, we were always just shown, this is how you do math. And, uh, right. and we never saw, it took me years to figure out, you know, how things connected, to each other, you know, probably even only when I started teaching math. So I think, I think we're at a good spot to summarize a little bit, uh, because we've done two big moves so far of the three big moves we want to talk about our phases that we're, we're, uh, talking about. Um, uh, we've, we've talked about the four moves, um, the knowing where they come from, know where they're going, uh, and anticipating. And then we've just talked about the during moves, which are all uh, four of the five practices from uh, the five practices uh, book. And I think we're ready to move uh, move in, Kyle, to the after moves. Like, what are we doing after? Yeah, this is something that, uh, you know, after we're done, we do this consolidation. Whether you choose to do that connection or whether you want to call it the consolidation of your lesson, um, whether you choose to do it up, you know, at the front of the room, some take pictures of student work and then students sort of share or come up to the front and share, or whether you want to like gather them around and bring them to the different whiteboards like you and I tend to do quite a bit. Um, or, you know, there's even, I see in some classrooms and, uh, Yvette Lehman is sort of, uh, introduced me to this idea where, you know, in the elementary classroom, we often see like where you, you literally have the kids all get like, get real close and gather around you and use their active listening skills to, to engage in the consolidation. Like once all of that is done and we've, we've hit those intentions, those learning intentions that we set out to do um, back when we were doing the before moves and and doing our planning. We're now on to the after moves. And this is the part where, I mean, it's the easiest to explain, but not necessarily the easiest to make decisions on. And this is this idea, we like to call it proceeding as planned or pivoting your plan. And really, this one here is one that is so difficult to break Mm -hmm. 
out of a bad habit. And it, and sadly, it's it's a, only a bad habit um, because we were told we were supposed to do it this way. And it was this idea of making this long range plan and, you know, sort of like getting all of your ideas, all of the big ideas of your course and the curriculum organized and having day by day planned out. And then you make this this long range plan. But the problem is, is that when we made the plan, we hadn't even met the kids in the room yet. And, and for you and I, I know this was how you and I used to do it, you know, teaching in high school, we would make this plan. And it was sort of like, that was the plan for every time we taught that course. It didn't matter, you know, the kids sitting in the seat. And it was like, we weren't planning it with anyone in particular in mind. And that was like a huge, huge oversight on our part. So it's this idea of, you know, looking at what we just did in this lesson and the consolidation that just took place. And then like sort of assessing in your mind, like, are we where I thought we were going to be back when, A, I made that long range plan and B, like when I planned yesterday for today's lesson, like I was hoping we'd get to here. Did we make it there? Did we make it further? And like, what's, how's that going to affect my plan now for tomorrow when I start thinking about the before moves for tomorrow's lesson? What does it mean to you there, John? Yeah, I, I totally uh, re- uh, you know, it resonates with me about that that idea of planning uh, with no one in particular. It's like kind of like you think you're planning, or this is this is referring to the old John. Uh, but I was thinking that I I was planning for you know the middle. So when you think like, oh, I, I should start aiming my lesson at like the middle group, and what you're doing is you're you're you know you're you're aiming that at actually no one because half. You know, half the kids, if if you're going for the middle, then half the kids are above that and half the kids are below that. And you've just captured no one's no one's ability. Um, it's going to be too easy for the, the kids that are above and too hard for the kids that are below. Like like that planning, like my lessons looked like you said, like I could I used to write out all those examples and then that went in my binder and that binder just was like golden. Right. Like it was like the binder don't lose your binder uh, was this was a big thing that I had. And, and when it went in the binder, that was like, that lesson is set. I don't have to do that. Make that one again. Like if I just have to teach for one year and then I'm good. And there's that saying, I'm not sure who, who, where I heard this, uh, this, uh, this quote before, but you know, it always made me think, well, it makes me think now, like, did I teach for 15 years or did I teach one year, 15 times? Um, and, and that's where these, you know, after moves come from. It's, it's what, what are we going to do? Like, do I move on? Cause my long range plans say like, go to the next page in the binder. Um, or do I call an audible and go, you know what, we're not ready, uh, to do that based, based on what I observed in the classroom today from the students. Um, so you know, I, I used to think I can't, I have to move on. I have to, I have to teach my curriculum. I won't be able to cover all the content. Like Kyle, what would you say to that? Like, that's a big, that's a big, that's a big stumbling block for not following your, you know, your path uh, that you set at the beginning of the year. Like what can we, what, what tips can we give our teachers here to say like, what, 
I'm, I want to teach this way, but, but how do I cover all this? No, totally, totally. I say this all the time. And, you know, I'd say my old, you know, I like your reference to the old John, like the old Kyle, which, you know, for me, isn't that long ago, you know, let's be honest, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and I'm going to be honest with myself here and say that it, it wasn't that long ago that I, that I, I had made these changes or at least, uh, have, have started shifting my thinking to try to make these changes. And, uh, I, I say now that I was like one of the best, one of the best <laughs> at covering the content. Like I, I would say like maybe the best I would cover it all. Uh, now <laughs> I don't know how much the kids actually learned from that experience, but man, did I cover the content, right? Like right. I taught it. I'm not sure if they learned it. And, uh, you know, I know I'm, I'm being hard on myself here because I know, you know, there was lots of kids that learned as well. And, you know, we're not, we're not trying to pick on, you know, someone who's like, ah, darn, you know, like I'm doing this long range plan and, you know, like, am I doing it all wrong? And, you know, it's not about that at all, but just this idea that, you know, I was sort of like, I was a gambling man back then, right? Like this idea, like, man, I was, it was a sure thing that I'd get through the content, but it was a gamble on who was going to be at the finish line with me. Right. Right. And, uh, you know, the kids, sure. They're going to get the credit, you know, I'm going to stay after school and stay at lunch with them and help them and do all these things. Like, you know, I, I would work very hard to try to make sure everybody was successful, but, the the real question was like I, I planned that lesson for nobody and 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 I think by making those small changes we can not only like some days sure you're going to you're going to come out of that consolidation and go darn we are not where I was hoping we would be and that pivot is going to look like pivoting to do something in you know in uh in response and in, to intervene on you know what what didn't go so well today but then we also have to think in and be flexible enough to know that like wow they just crushed that and tomorrow i was going to do like an extension mm-hmm. on the same idea that was just going to sort of reiterate the same idea maybe i don't do that like i don't throw that lesson out and throw it in the garbage we we just sort of like set that aside and say maybe this will be a good like review activity to do maybe in a week or two to kind of spiral back to this idea instead of uh, completely skipping it. But right now, like we might be able to like go a little bit deeper than I right, thought exactly. we would. So we are, we're actually saving time too. It's not all about like slowing down and not making it through content. It's about making good choices instead of plowing through because we think we have to quote unquote cover it. If kids already got it, then let's not do that part. Let's focus on the stuff that they're not getting. Right. right. And that, that I think is something we have to, we have to give ourselves permission to make you know, to use our professional judgment and actually make those those really difficult decisions um, to make sure that we're meeting the needs of more students. Right, and and if you think about it, you would never if you if you would never have known if your students could do these skills that you can now go like, oh, they got that. Like I I didn't see that. I didn't see that coming. Like when we did our our planning, our pre planning for this lesson, we thought about all these different ways that kids might do it do that. But you know, sometimes, and this has definitely happened to me that. Hey, I don't have to talk about about this, but if I had taught my standard lesson the traditional way, uh, I would never have seen that, and therefore you fe- that's why you feel like you have to cover all the things because um, you plant plan it out, and like how else would I know that my kids could you know um, find all these angles out in this polygon um, unless you gave them the opportunity to show you before you teach them, and uh, that's that's one of the great things about um, setting up a problem. Uh, that yeah, can make these math moments that matter is that that if you 
don't pre-teach or if you don't, you give them a chance to solve at this task first and listen, uh, you will save time. I guarantee, I I actually guarantee that you will save time if, if you can, if you can treat that right um, by listening very carefully to what they're doing. And and the other, the other tip that you, I think you, people want to want to take away from this about like managing their time and thinking about like covering that curriculum is, is that when, when they do, attempt those problems at the board and one group showing uh, one technique and another group showing another technique uh, is that most times you get to talk about multiple curriculum standards in that same lesson. Um, and then when, when that happens, and if you did the pre-planning, so if you did the anticipation uh, and knowing that some students are going to say, like, say you're, you're solving a proportion problem, but three groups want to solve it with a unit rate and they do that. Um, you're you're covering unit rates and proportion solving problems and probably more in that in that uh, in that one lesson and therefore when you get to your purposeful practice of that lesson uh, like after you've pulled and connected those ideas together you could have multiple practice points on those different expectations that come out you could have it prepared to do that and 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 in that one hour lesson that you have or 75 minute lesson depending on how long you have with your students uh, for math that day uh, you can definitely save time. Totally, totally. And, you know, as you said that, you know, talking about unit rates and proportions, like immediately I'm thinking like something I can offer on the fly now because I've done all of this planning in my consolidation, I can make a, a clear connection to uh, how would I solve this using percentages and showing that, oh my gosh, a percentage is just a proportion. Mm-hmm. And oh my gosh, like that, those, I can represent them fractionally. Like I can make these connections and then it's like, boom, I write that down and I guess what tomorrow's lesson might be involved with. It might involve like a percentage. I was like, I was going to spend all this time in a couple of weeks on percentages, but guess mm-hmm. what? The door just opened for me to dive in tomorrow to like knock off like a huge chunk of that. And now in a couple of weeks when I had intended to get there, maybe I don't need to spend as much time there. So right. it, it really is this like, you know, planning is like this moving target and it has to be done strategically, of course. Like we're not suggesting throw right. away your long range plan. We're just saying, make sure that well, that long range plan is flexible enough so that things can move, right? Because right. it is dynamic. It's not a static uh, a static thing for sure. Right. And that's, that's what ties back to the before moves is, is knowing where they're going, like not knowing, not just knowing where they're going to the next grade level, but know where you're going in your course. Um, because if you see that expectation, uh, pop out that, you know, you're going to cover later on, or you're going to talk about later on, you, you can, you can pivot so that, uh, you can, you can talk about it now or, or practice it now and, uh, save that time. So, uh, yeah, I think, I think we, I think we got some good tips in here. Yeah, no, totally. Like I I was just thinking to myself, this has been uh, an, another, uh, really awesome episode. If, if anything, John, at least you and I got something from the conversation because I know, uh, I'm jotting down notes here, uh, on my notepad and, you know, just things that kind of come out from that conversation. So I, I hope folks at home are, are doing that same reflection, generating that new, that new knowledge. So, um, let me, let me quickly, uh, summarize here what we've done. We, 
really wanted to focus on these three moves for igniting teacher moves and and really igniting like our planning of our lessons. Um, so let's talk a little bit about the before moves. So in before moves, we talked about knowing where kids are coming from and knowing where they're going. And then this is where we start to anticipate what students might do based on the learning objective that you've selected. You've, you've selected with intentionality and the task that you're going to have them solve before you do the teaching. And then we move into the during moves. This is like during class. So that anticipating, but from the before moves was from the five practices for orchestrating ma uh, productive mathematical discussions uh, in math class. And in these during moves, the other four of the five math practices come out, which is monitoring, walking around that room, checking out what kids are doing, how they're solving, selecting student work and student thinking that's going to help you in the end consolidation of your lesson. We're going to then sequence it. How are we going to sequence it? There's a variety of ways, but one of our favorite is from most accessible to least accessible. And then finally, the big part, the what we do all of this work for, which is this connecting where we're going to do in our consolidation of the lesson if you're a three-part math, uh, math lesson person. And then finally, we're going to be done that class, we're going to be exhausted and we're going to think to ourselves in the after moves, are we proceeding as planned as I had laid out in that long range, that unit plan, that weekly plan, that daily plan, or am I going to have to pivot the plan based on what I see? Either students are needing a little bit of this or maybe they they need a little less of that because they are showing like, you know, things are working very well and you're ready to move on a little faster than anticipated. So I'd, I'd, I'd assume that you'd agree there's a ton here to digest, um, but we did, but we did want to share this with you now so you can reflect on this and come back to us with some questions in the comments in the show notes or on social media or even an email. Um, we do deep take a deep dive on these ideas during our six-module online workshop. So if you are interested in learning more about that and about these specific moves, be sure to check out makemathmoments.com forward slash online workshop. That's makemathmoments.com forward slash online workshop. Well, these uh, first four episodes uh, have been uh, Kyle and I going back and forth about some of the big epiphanies we've had in recent years. Uh, know that we have some interviews with big names in the math education space, as well as episodes with math educators like you who, who have a challenge uh, that we'll be working through together in a mentorship role. So you can expect uh, some, some more episodes like that coming up. So in order awesome. to uh, ensure you don't miss out, on uh, those new episodes as they come out each week. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform by simply searching, or you can use these quick links. Uh, for iTunes, you can go to uh, makemathmoments.com slash iTunes. For Google Play, go to makemathmoments.com forward slash play. For Spotify, go to makemathmoments.com forward slash Spotify. And quick links will work for most other popular podcasting platforms as well. So give them a shot. They'll work. If, if you find one that doesn't work, make sure to let us know. And also, if you're liking what you're hearing, please do us a huge favor and share the podcast with a colleague and help us reach a wider audience by leaving us a review on iTunes. If you're in the podcast app on your iPad 
or on your iPhone right at the bottom. Like if you actually open it up right now and have a look, you, there's a way for you to hit uh, the number of stars. I don't want to tell you to do five star, but I'm hoping you think it's a five star. Uh, go ahead and do that. And then there's also a little review button. Do us a favor and hit that review button. Let us know what you're thinking and that will help us reach a wider audience. Show notes and links to resources from this episode can be found at makemathmoments.com forward slash episode four. Again, that's makemathmoments.com forward slash episode four. You can also find Make Math Moments on all social media platforms and seek out our free private Facebook group, Math Teaching and Learning K-12. Don't miss our next episode. If you're not interested in waiting until our next uh, episode drops next week, why not watch our four-part video series to help build resilient problem solvers who don't want to stop learning math when the bell rings? You can find this free four-part video series at makemathmoments.com forward slash lesson one, makemathmoments.com forward slash lesson one. Well, until next time, I'm Kyle Pierce. And I'm John Orr. High fives for us. And high fives for you. If you are a district leader of mathematics, a math coach, a math curriculum coordinator, a superintendent and principal, getting teacher buy-in for effective math teaching practice is top of mind. And plans only go so far. You can make you know detailed plans and, and carefully designed goals with clear objectives and key results that are measurable. But that can feel like it all falls flat if we can't engage our teachers in the work. Working with teachers who do not want to change their teaching practices is one of the most frustrating and challenging parts of our job. How do I help teachers engage in effective teaching practices when they keep pushing us away? If you can't reach the tipping point in mass adoption of effective mathematics teaching strategies, then it's it's likely we won't see student improvement in mathematics. We have a free training uh, an accompanying workbook for leaders of mathematics like you. Uh, the, math, the Make Math Moments team, myself, John, and Kyle, walk you through our four-stage process uh, we use with district partners to create clear, measurable, sustainable PD action plans, but more specifically on how to also get teacher buy-in so that it drives student engagement. So step one, register for this free training, get your planning workbook, um, and then watch the training. Schedule some time on your calendar so you can watch it and go through the workbook. After completing that workbook, you're going to have a clear, measurable vision, action plan for mathematics to get more teacher buy-in, but also be able to hit your goals for the 2024-2025 school year. So head on over to makemathmoments.com forward slash four stages to start this free training.